At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. C13 Originals. If you have any tips as it pertains to this story, please reach out to tips at gangstercapitalism.com or our tip line, 347-674-6980. We can ensure anonymity. Let's begin this episode with a clip from Fox News's Swamp Watch. As you know, in our Swamp Watch series, we expose corruption and greed wherever we find it because we are always fighting for you against the elitists and the corrupt establishment lining their pockets at your expense. Tonight, we have a particularly egregious example, a man who's been exploiting for his own personal enrichment one of the most deeply held beliefs of decent American patriots. The NRA CEO, Wayne LaPierre, is tonight's Swamp Watch. Since the 2019 convention, Wayne LaPierre has been exposed for his history of using NRA money for his personal benefit. He spent $274,000 on luxury suits at one Beverly Hills boutique alone, including $39,000 in one day. His wife, Susan, has spent tens of thousands of dollars flying her personal makeup artist on private jets and booking her in top hotels. Wayne and Susan together have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars taking lavish trips to Budapest, Italy, and the Bahamas, and even flying the private jet up to Wisconsin to pick up Susan's niece. It appears that all of these bills were routed through the NRA's top vendor, Ackerman McQueen, and then paid back by the NRA using membership money. The Wall Street Journal reports, quote, NRA officials have said the spending was justified because of his numerous speaking and TV appearances. What are the odds that Wayne LaPierre declared the $200,000 in suits as income on his tax returns? For now, we don't know the answer to that question. But one story in particular illustrates just how far over the line Wayne and the NRA may have crossed. Here's Mark Merrimont, a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter for The Wall Street Journal. After the shootings in Florida in early 2018, Mr. LaPierre and those around him were quite concerned about his safety. According to The Wall Street Journal, as a result of the Parkland school shooting, Wayne and Susan LaPierre wanted to move to a more private location. And so they began looking at a new house in Dallas. 
more than 1,300 miles away from NRA headquarters in Virginia. But the plan to deal with that was to buy him a $6 million mansion in Dallas. We kept digging and the truth came tumbling out. As it turned out, an Ackerman lawyer set up a Delaware entity that was gonna buy the house, but that Delaware entity was owned 99% by the NRA. And the NRA then chief financial officer signed the documents agreeing to pay six and a half million dollars into this entity to buy the house. And the NRA put up $70,000 in a check that was paid to this entity. The LaPierres visited the home twice. It was a 10,000-square-foot French-style chateau in a gated community next to an exclusive golf club, which Wayne sought to join. LaPierres, from what we understand, were not solely concerned with security. Susan LaPierre sent emails about how the men's closet area wasn't big enough, which, of course, is somewhat laughable given the suit purchases. But when the Wall Street Journal broke the story, not even Fox News was laughing. If you're an NRA member, you pay $45 a year in good faith to help protect the Second Amendment. But it turns out you're also funding a lavish, elitist lifestyle for Wayne LaPierre. In February 2018, while the nation was mourning the Parkland shooting victims, Wayne LaPierre was house shopping. Except it wasn't him buying the house, it was you. The story became a flashpoint for all that's wrong with the NRA, and another in a long list of questionable transactions by Wayne LaPierre. For years, Wayne LaPierre has taken NRA members' money to live the life of a king. But he's not a king, he's the head of a non-profit trusted by millions to use its funds to secure constitutional rights. Wayne LaPierre is an odious little grifter and it's time for him to go. But this isn't like the other stories. This one is different. Because the house transaction may be a crime. A federal crime. Which could land Wayne LaPierre and others in prison for a very long time. It was pretty easy for me to get him to admit all the things that he had done wrong because he didn't have a way out. Obviously, the relationship between them was complicated. It's hard to ignore that dynamic. It's impossible to ignore that dynamic. That kind of conduct is not only unethical, it is potentially criminal. I'm Andrew Jenks. This is Gangster Capitalism. Season 2, The NRA. We start with a transaction. It seems that Susan LaPierre and Wayne LaPierre want to buy a house in the Dallas area for about $6 million dollars. That's David Harris, a professor of law at the University of Pittsburgh and host of the podcast Criminal Injustice. 
Although the story of the house purchase has been widely reported, what has flown under the radar is that this may have been criminal. Rather than come up with the money for this themselves, what we see is a transaction that seems to be structured so that no money comes from them and the whole thing is hidden. It works like this. Money is taken from the NRA. Now, the NRA is a nonprofit organization. Its money comes primarily from the members. Money from the NRA is taken in the form of a check and paid to a limited liability company, an LLC, that is set up for this purpose. The money goes to the LLC, $70,000. That LLC has an address, according to the NRA's own documents, that connects it with Ackerman McQueen, the NRA's longtime advertising agency and partner in many, many ventures. The NRA, in partnership with Ackerman McQueen, established an LLC, which was 99% owned by the NRA and 1% owned by ACMAC. In May of 2018, Woody Phillips, the CFO of the NRA, who, if you remember from episode two, embezzled more than $1 million from his former employer, signed a check to this LLC for $70,000 of NRA money. And the address listed on the check turned out to be a home owned by Ackerman McQueen's chief financial officer. If the house had been purchased, nobody would have been able to see that it was owned by the LaPierres because the money was coming from elsewhere or who had paid for it. The NRA maintains that Wayne LaPierre is a public person who had security concerns. That's why they didn't want the buyer of the house to be public. That seems reasonable. But still, the money wasn't coming from Wayne. It was coming from the NRA. Then the question becomes, what about the way the transaction was disguised? Because if there had been reasons that Mr. and Mrs. LaPierre wanted to keep their name off the title, they could have created their own LLC, but they didn't do that. This was done by the NRA in cooperation, it seems, with Ackerman McQueen, and the money was funneled through that way. Despite the actual check listing an Ackerman employee's address in Oklahoma, on the NRA's tax filing, they put their own address for the LLC. And they listed the transaction as an investment. Ultimately, the deal to buy the house was scuttled, but the check to start the process was cut. And therein lies the problem. If you're using the member's money from your nonprofit to personally benefit people who work at the nonprofit. That's not part of the nonprofit's job. That's not part of the nonprofit's role. And it violates potentially federal law. You're not allowed to essentially defraud the membership and the organization by using it to enrich people who work for it. 
that kind of conduct is not only unethical, it is potentially criminal. What was allegedly done here by Mr. and Mrs. LaPierre and anybody working with them could have consequences both in the New York Attorney General's investigation and in any federal investigation that might follow. The taking of funds from a place that is not supposed to be drawn from and giving it for the benefit of somebody not entitled to those funds would be a type of fraud. Wire fraud. If Wayne and Susan LaPierre were involved in arranging this transaction, they could be part of any scheme to defraud. They would be responsible for that if they had any role in putting that plan together. That's what the statute requires. Anybody involved in putting that scheme together could be charged. It might be Mr. LaPierre, but it could be anybody involved in constructing the scheme. The potential penalty for wire fraud is a fine of not more than a million dollars, and a person can also go to prison for up to 30 years, or both. If I were Wayne LaPierre, I'd be thinking about this a lot. I'd want to retain counsel, and I'd want to know just how deep my exposure might be. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hi, this is Amy Poehler here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts, the team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Dallas mansion has become one of the biggest threats to both the NRA and Ackerman McQueen. And immediately after the story broke in the Wall Street Journal, both sides began distancing themselves. Ackerman says it was them that pulled the plug on the deal when they found out what Wayne and the NRA were up to. Specifically when they learned that Wayne wanted to join the golf club. It didn't seem like a security issue at that point. As for the NRA side, their new Dallas-based attorney, Bill Brewer, put their narrative into the press. He said, quote, The deal was vetoed by the NRA after its full terms, including Ackerman's intent to spend NRA money, became known to Wayne LaPierre. In the last two years, Bill Brewer has become the high-profile and very well-paid mouthpiece of the NRA. 
If I'm the one who is most often answering to the client front and center, I can tell you that I'm the one who's most often taking the credit and hopefully sharing it appropriately with others. But I'm the one who's taking the blame. Bill Brewer is a polarizing figure, especially in the Texas legal community. In a Dallas Observer article from back in 1998, it was written, quote, Driven by the boundless energy and raw chutzpah of its co-founder, Bill Brewer, the litigation boutique became a pariah within the local legal community. Accused of pushing the ethical envelope, running up the costs of litigation, and destroying the gentility of the Dallas Bar. If you talk to other Texas attorneys about Brewer, you almost always get an animated reaction. We spoke to several people who worked for Brewer, but none wanted to go on record for fear of retaliation. Instead, we were pointed to the various websites with reviews of what it's like to work for Bill Brewer. If Bill Brewer was not in charge, the firm would have been a much better place to work. You have no idea what you're getting yourself into. Bill Brewer is ruthless. He is the epitome of a narcissistic bully. The dog-eat-dog politics are high. Money is not worth unhappiness. Diluted, disingenuous, and delusional. Too much drama. Management is chaos. It's the world according to Brewer or the highway. Bill Brewer is a deviant. Management is eager to insult you, stab you in the back, belittle you, throw you under the bus, bully you, or make your life miserable. Nightmare experience. Do not work for this firm. Do not hire this firm. The worst of the very worst. As I said, none of these people wanted to go on record. But Ted Lyon did. Lyon is a Dallas-based attorney who went head-to-head with Brewer. There's a breed of lawyer that looks at a file as being, well, gee, this is a a way to make our income production. And they would build the heck out of the file and create a lot of unnecessary legal work. And eventually, in almost all those cases, they ended up settling the case when they You could have settled a case for less than what they paid in legal fees. Instead of trying to do what's right and get your client out of trouble, sometimes these kind of lawyers just get them deeper into trouble. And they always put their interest over the clients. Mr. Brewer was at the top of the list in that regard. That's the reputation that he had. Ted specializes in personal injury cases, and he distinctly remembers one in 2012 when he was hired to represent a family who was searching for answers in the wake of a terrible tragedy. Brennan Till was a young man from my hometown of Rockwall, Texas, and he actually went to school with my son, and Brennan was a close friend of mine. He was in Lubbock at the home of Ross Rushing. They were just there cooking some steaks one night, and a lightning storm came through and it hit outside the home. Firefighters raced to the Lubbock, Texas home of Ross and Meg Rushing as an electrical storm rolls through. Boom, and lightning hit. That's when the explosion happened. Ross escapes under the buckled garage door. We have a victim! We have a structure! 
Brennan does not make it out. I would not wish this on anybody. Brennan was in the garage, and he was killed, burned to death. So we were hired by the family to find out what happened. And so we traced the problem to this CSST, which is a very flimsy yellow pipe that is used to transport gas. That was a problem with that product. If, if lightning struck close to a home in that CSST, it would be grounded to the home, go through the home, and it would cause a hole in this product. And so we sued them in Lubbock. As a result of that lawsuit, Brewer's firm got in the case. And that's how I got to know him personally. They were representing opposite sides of the case. But Ted Lyon remembers meeting with Bill Brewer to discuss it. I was at the Dallas Athletic Club. I met him for lunch to talk about trying to settle the case. And uh, he didn't have any empathy for this family at all who lost their son or the Rushings who Mr. Rushing was partially burned and had a head injury and suffered loss of hearing. He didn't care about anything but the case. I knew their reputation, which they had a very uh, hard reputation in terms of what they did in lawsuits, and it was not very civil. They were called Rambo lawyers. What they try and do is their Rambo strategy is try and intimidate the lawyer, the judge, and whoever else might be witnesses in the case. As Ted Lyons' team prepared for trial, they noticed that certain people who were close to the case were being contacted for a survey. The wife of one of the key witnesses had been called on her cell phone by this survey group out of New York City, but they identified themselves with a local number, and they were calling people all over the courthouse, their family members, and they were doing what's called a push poll. A push poll is a marketing strategy typically used in politics. Push polls use innuendo, false statements, and selective information to manipulate the views of the public under the guise of opinion polling. While the use of push polls in political campaigns is ethically questionable, their use to manipulate witnesses and jurors in a court case is a major red flag. This was just a few weeks before trial to intimidate these witnesses. And so I immediately, after I was briefed on it, called Bill Brewer. And I said, are you conducting a poll in Lubbock at this time? And he said, no, we are not. I said, have you conducted a poll in Lubbock about this case? Because we think there's some shenanigans going on here. And if you are, you're doing a push poll and you need to stop it immediately. Well, he said, no, they weren't doing it. Well, we eventually ran down the company that was hired and eventually in a hearing, one of his lawyers admitted that they were doing it. We just filed a motion for sanctions against him. I didn't want to waste any more time talking to him. 
I decided that when I would talk to him was when I cross-examined him at the courthouse. Brewer, who was supposed to be defending his client in court, now had to defend himself on the stand. He was arrogant. He made a very bad impression in the courtroom. That cross-examination was, from my standpoint, pretty easy because while he's a lawyer and he may think that he's the world's smartest lawyer, he wasn't that smart in the courtroom under cross-examination. And it was pretty easy for me to get him to admit all the things that he had done wrong because he didn't have a way out. The general counsel for the company Brewer was representing was present in the courtroom for Bill's cross-examination. He was appalled by what happened. He wanted us to know that his client had no inkling that they were going to do that. And they wanted to settle a case in the worst possible way. And until that time, Brewer had never even indicated to me that they were interested in settling at all. And it was going to be, as they say in Texas, an ass-kicking at the OK Corral. In addition to losing the case, according to Lyon, Bill Brewer received a $177,000 fine and an additional sanction. He was ordered to go to attend ethics classes for an additional 10 hours. It's very embarrassing. When it came time for Brewer to participate in an NRA case in Virginia, he had to file routine paperwork allowing him to practice law in that state. The form required that the applicant declare any previous ethical violations. Despite being removed from at least two other cases over ethics violations, Brewer didn't list those, or this most recent one. You can't forget to list something like that. I mean, he was cross-examined for several hours. He got a sanction. It was all over the legal news. Texas Lawyer Magazine and all those. I mean, this is something that you don't forget about. The judge removed him after having a hearing and said, you're out of this case and you're no longer welcome in my court. Less than a year after starting at the NRA, Bill had been kicked out of court for failing to disclose ethics violations. According to comments made by Brewer, he denies any wrongdoing and that all of his work is a part of his zealous advocacy for his clients. His start at the NRA was rocky, but according to his family, Brewer had much bigger plans. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
The NRA has hired William Brewer as its attorney for the case. Brewer is the brother-in-law of Ackerman CEO Revan McQueen. That decision now being criticized by Ackerman as a conflict of interest, but we will see what the court does next. Bill Brewer, the attorney representing the NRA, is married to Sky McQueen. Sky is the daughter of Ackerman McQueen's longtime former CEO and close friend of Wayne LaPierre, Angus McQueen. And Sky is the sister of Ackerman's current CEO, Revan McQueen. Of course, the NRA and Ackerman are involved in several bitter legal disputes which threaten the future of both organizations. And Brewer is at the very center of it all. He appears to be fighting for the NRA's survival. But maybe this fight is about something very different. What's clear to me is that he and his father-in-law, they had a delicate relationship. This is Danny Hakem, a reporter for the New York Times who covers the NRA. When I asked Brewer about his courtship of Angus's daughter, he acknowledged that there was some awkwardness there. What Brewer himself told me was that there was probably some uncomfortableness on Angus's part that his much younger daughter was marrying a much older man who'd been married three times and had three kids. Bill Brewer is 20 years older than Skye, which made his new father-in-law barely eight years older than him. But despite the age difference and that it was his fourth wedding, Angus still paid for the wedding. Obviously, the relationship between them was complicated. It's hard to ignore that dynamic. It's impossible to ignore that dynamic. My name is Revan McQueen. I am over the age of 18 years and of sound mind. I have never been convicted of a felony or a crime of moral turpitude. I am the chief executive officer of Ackerman McQueen, Inc., also known as AMC. The facts stated herein are true and correct and based on my personal knowledge in my capacity as CEO of AMC. I have known William Bill Brewer III since the period before October of 2000. When I was 13 years old, Brewer married my sister, Sky McQueen Brewer. This is a reading from a statement made by Revan McQueen about his brother-in-law. It appeared in a very recent legal filing by Ackerman as part of a motion to remove Bill Brewer from the NRA Ackerman lawsuits because of what seems like an obvious conflict. The McQueen family is a small and tight-knit family. Brewer has been involved in and has been permitted intimate personal knowledge of our family's affairs, both personal and business, for over two decades. I have personal knowledge that Brewer's relationship with Angus was strained at times and have personally witnessed numerous instances of disrespectful conduct from Brewer toward Angus. According to the court filing, Brewer vocalized his disdain with his in-laws' relationship with the NRA due to his own anti-gun political sentiments. Brewer had even made political donations to Hillary Clinton and Beto O'Rourke. 
I am also aware of Brewer voicing frequent professional criticisms about AMC's work with the NRA. I don't believe Brewer to be, and certainly have not known him, to be a supporter of the Second Amendment. Brewer, on more than one occasion, would pass judgment on the billing structure of AMC, saying the company could, quote, make more money if it billed hourly. Brewer has publicly held forth the theory that law firms are better suited than communication firms like AMC to perform public relations services for their clients, a theory he debated with me and Angus on numerous occasions. According to Revan, Mac didn't even know that the NRA had hired his brother-in-law until his company began receiving PR emails about the NRA from the Brewer firm. Then, an email from the NRA followed, informing Ackerman that Brewer had been retained by the association and that they should comply with any requests for information related to the Carry Guard Insurance Initiative. Angus always directed everyone to comply with all formal directives from the NRA. Among many examples of cooperation and assistance, I am aware that Brewer was allowed to interview multiple AMC employees. During that interview, it is my understanding that he went into a targeted and unrelated to carry guard line of questioning about Angus specifically. The situation escalated in June of 2018 when Angus McQueen discovered he had lung cancer. And as his son Revan tells it, that revelation marked a turning point for Bill Brewer. From that point on, as the Carry Guard investigation progressed, Brewer began taking actions and exhibiting behavior that appeared to be unrelated to Carry Guard and increasingly aggressive toward AMC. Wayne LaPierre informed Angus that Brewer had criticized AMC's speechwriting services. In the court filing by Ackerman, they claim that Brewer positioned his firm as a direct competitor of his in-law's business and began writing speeches for Wayne LaPierre, handling crisis management, media relations, and website content for the NRA. All things that Ackerman had done for decades. On July 2nd, 2018, Brewer sent an email on behalf of the NRA to AMC's attorney seeking additional documents and claiming that certain documents had been withheld from previous NRA requests for productions. His letters and communications to AMC attorneys became increasingly inaccurate, adversarial, and incorrectly claimed that AMC was actively breaching its obligations under the services agreement. Angus and I both found this distressing because we knew that AMC had fully complied with every request in good faith. According to Revan, Brewer started demanding information outside of his initial mandate, which was to investigate the Carry Guard Insurance Program. The rift between Ackerman and the NRA was growing wider, and Brewer was gaining more control over Wayne and the NRA. Wayne had chosen his side, but Revan says that LaPierre was still reaching out to Ackerman for damage control. It is my understanding that LaPierre directed AMC executives not to let Brewer have copies of anything because he feared the information would be leaked to hurt him. 
This, of course, came to fruition as the documents about Wayne's suits, his luxury travel, and evidence of so many other questionable transactions flooded into the press. In the court filing, Ackerman maintains that those leaks came from Brewer himself to damage Ackerman. According to Revan, Wayne had lost control of Brewer. Angus learned from LaPierre that Brewer was threatening to have Angus indicted for unidentified misdeeds associated with AMC's work for the NRA. This deeply upset Angus, who had loved and served the NRA for most of his career. Remember at the beginning of the episode when Wayne, through Ackerman McQueen and the NRA, tried to purchase a $6 million mansion in Dallas? If Wayne may be criminally liable for his role in that transaction, Angus and anybody else involved may have been too. Disgusted by Brewer's threatening behavior, Angus and I, along with a handful of other AMC executives, met with LaPierre on October 11th, 2018 in Dallas, Texas to discuss Brewer, as well as other matters of business. We extensively discussed Brewer's connection to the McQueen family, how inappropriate and aggressive Brewer's conduct had become, and that we felt it was inappropriate for him to continue to represent the NRA in any matter related to AMC. I was prepared to resign the business at that meeting, but LaPierre assured the company that things were changing. LaPierre repeatedly asked us during the meeting to, quote, stick with him. After this meeting, LaPierre promised to me via phone that AMC would not have to deal with Brewer or his firm anymore. Wayne's relationship with Ackerman McQueen went back almost 40 years. They'd guided him and the NRA in every way. And now, Bill Brewer was taking on that role. And LaPierre was caught in the middle of this family drama. I was made aware that LaPierre told Angus and others at AMC on more than one occasion during phone calls and in-person discussion throughout the summer of 2018 that, quote, Brewer was going to keep him out of jail. During conversations between AMC representatives and LaPierre, when AMC expressed concern about Brewer's strange involvement and his increasing antagonism toward AMC, it is my understanding LaPierre stated that he felt like he was, quote, in a box, that Brewer was, quote, crazy, and that LaPierre felt like he was, quote, just a pawn on Brewer's chessboard. Revan says that Brewer had gone on a full-scale offensive in the press to discredit his company and had taken over their business with the NRA at the same time. In 2017, the NRA had paid Ackerman, its biggest vendor, almost $41 million. Now in their legal filing, Ackerman claims that in the last two years, the NRA has paid Bill Brewer $54 million. They claim that, in fact, Bill Brewer has now become the NRA's biggest vendor. Could it actually be possible 
that Bill Brewer has made himself rich and brought his in-laws' business and the NRAs to the brink of disaster, all because of a family vendetta? By early May 2019, Angus was severely ill, starting to cough up blood and show signs that the cancer was progressing. It is my understanding that Brewer was well aware of all of this. In mid-May 2019, Angus was hospitalized. While family was traveling to visit Angus in the hospital, Brewer filed his second lawsuit against AMC in Virginia. This lawsuit not only falsely claimed that AMC had been part of some plot to extort and overthrow LaPierre, but that it was actively leaking confidential information to the media about the NRA. Throughout the remainder of May, June, and July 2019, Brewer was repeatedly quoted in the media discussing AMC's attempts to, quote, derail the NRA's investigations and AMC's sponsorship of the, quote, failed coup attempts, along with Oliver North and others. On July 11, 2019, as Angus was in hospice care and his family was traveling to see him, he read Brewer's quote in a Bloomberg article, accusing AMC of committing crimes against the NRA. Distraught from reading the words of his son-in-law libeling him as a criminal, Angus looked at me and he told me to protect our family from Brewer, who he believed would stop at nothing to attempt to destroy his family. Less than one week later, on July 16, 2019, Angus passed away. After ongoing conversations with Bill Brewer's PR representative about an interview, Brewer ultimately declined. Both he and the NRA will soon have their chance to respond to the latest Ackerman filings in court. Next time on Gangster Capitalism. When I saw what Wayne's doing with these monies, it just disgusted me. A major donor has had enough, but the board of directors is a big part of the problem too. One quarter of the board members have received benefits ranging from tens of thousands of dollars to up to $3 million. And this is just incredible. And this probably won't end well for Wayne LaPierre. My guess is that LaPierre will be chopped liver. If you have any tips you'd like to share, please reach out to us at tips at gangstercapitalism.com or you can leave a voicemail at 347-674-6980. For more information, go to gangstercapitalism.com and follow us on Instagram at gangstercapitalism or on Twitter at gangstercapital. This has been a creation and presentation of C13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran, Zach Levitt, and me, Andrew Jenks. Written and directed by Zach Levitt and me. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge and Perry Crowell. Edited by Perry Crowell. Mixing and mastering by Bill Schultz. Research and production support by Ian Mont. Production management by Terrence Malingone. Studio coordination by Sean Cherry. Artwork and design by Kirk Courtney. And marketing and PR by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. 
Our original score is by Joel Goodman, and our theme song, Your Sins Will Find You Out, is by Eli Paperboy Reed. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. And why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts.